Hey, it's so, so nice to be back. I'm telling you, for uh, the last three and a half, four, five, four and a half months, something like that, uh, I've been preaching to an empty room. And so uh, it's been the, the first few weeks that we did this, um, they had some little uh, stick figures that were stuck up in your places. Uh, and so they didn't respond, so they couldn't like say amen and things like that. So I'm going to need some of that from you today. I'm going to need some amen, some hallelujah, some hand waves, some something just to uh, know that you're really out there and you aren't stick figures. Uh, and then there were times, though, that sometimes it was just me and uh, Blake and Paul and Eric, and so it was kind of an empty room, and, but, uh, and preaching to a screen, so it's so nice to see our family back together. Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I'll just say, I, I really am thankful for you and the way that you have responded to what we've had to do. I mean, none of us would have chosen this, right? None of us would have chosen things to be the way they are, and none of us would have chosen the restrictions that we have that have been placed on us. But I'm so thankful for you that you have persevered, and you have hung in there, and you have continued to pursue Jesus. You have watched online. You have studied the Bible. You have chosen to continue to follow Jesus, and no matter what happens around us, that's what we do. He is alive. He is he is at work, uh, just because the pandemic breaks out or whatever restrictions might have gotten put on us, Jesus is still at work. Amen? Yes. Holy Spirit is still at work and doing a work in among us and through us and to us. And so I'm just very thankful um, uh, that you have uh, continued to persevere through that. There was a song that I wanted us to sing this today. Uh, it's an old song that, um, that somebody acted like they never heard before. And I thought, man, it'd be a really good if we could sing this at the beginning. But the band chose not to do it. They did their own thing. And so, uh, but it's a uh, song that I used to sing when I was growing up in my, uh, my church that I grew up in. It goes like this. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. What a sight just to see all the happy faces praising God in heavenly places. What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That is stuck in your head for the rest of the week. You're welcome. So <laughs> that's right. Hey, so open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 21. That's where we're going to be today in our text in Genesis chapter 21. So some things that we learned from Genesis 20 last week, or if you've been paying attention, or if you haven't been, I'll catch you up. Uh, we've been marching through this uh, Genesis text, and Old Testament texts are a little bit different than New Testament texts because they tell these big stories, and so you're teaching much more story than you are line by line, principle by principle, and so uh, we're kind of uh, about 40% uh, through 40% uh, through uh, Genesis right now, and so things we learned last week was this. One, God is not stumped by an evil world, Right? I mean, he doesn't get uh, blown away or he's not like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? Or what do we do next? Or now that this evil has happened in the world or uh, he, he's just not stumped by it. He doesn't get bumfuzzled by it or anything like that. He just knows what he's doing. He's in charge of his world. So that's the first point from last week. Secondly, uh, God does not gasp in amazement at the depth of our faith or our failures. Okay, so he's not shocked at how big your faith is and he's not shocked at how big your failures are. Shockingly, he knows those things. He, he knows those things before they ever happen. He knows what you're going to do. He's, he's fully aware of all those things. So he's not blown away by the, the, the bigness of your faith 
or the bigness of your failures. And that's a good thing, okay? Thirdly, last thing was this, that God intervenes to accomplish his good will. So no matter how big your faith or how small your faith or how big your failures or how small your failures, God intervenes in people's lives to accomplish the plan that he has set into place. He will accomplish his plan. We saw that last week in our text, and we see that really all through the scripture. Whenever we're getting to Jesus, when we're getting to the one who's going to come and redeem us, Jesus even said, hey, it's not you guys that are coming and taking my life away from me. I'm laying it down willingly. You may think you're taking my life from me, but I'm laying it down uh, to accomplish the purpose that I have set into place. And so um, I I just want you to remember those points from last week uh, as we roll into uh, Genesis chapter 21. So here we go into our text today. Verse 1 says this in uh, Genesis chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken it to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, which means he laughs. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And we'll just stop our text right there. Those are going to be the seven verses that we cover uh, in today's text for us. So first verse says this, that the Lord uh, visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And so the, the point that I want to make from this, I'm going to make a point about each verse today. And so the point that I want to make about this is this very thing, that God does what he says and God completes what he promises. Okay. Now, I know you've been out of church for a while. So what is it that preachers like for you to do in the middle of the service? There we go. I've got a couple people. Let's practice that. What is it that preachers like for you to do in the middle of a service? What is it? Yes, say amen. So look, I'm going to need some of that from you today. I know you may go, oh my goodness, what kind of charismatic, crazy church is this? It's not. We're just going to celebrate those things. We're going to celebrate those points that this text, I believe, actually brings out. And this is the first one, is that God does what he said and he completes what he promises. And that is a good, good thing. You and I should rejoice in that. And when God sets out to do something, he's going to get it done. So for Sarah, it was what? A baby. Sarah was getting a baby in her old age. She was having a baby just as God promised. Now, how difficult is that? Very very difficult. So the physical part of it is difficult within itself. So think about that. I mean, Sarah in her 99-year-old body had to produce an egg within her body, right? I mean, that's, what you got, that's, what, that's like step one, right? So there's got to be an egg that's got to get in the right place at the right time. And then, you know, yada, yada, yada. After that, somehow... <laughs> somehow with 100-year-old Abraham and 99-year-old Sarah, and then the egg fertilizes it, and then the the baby has to be carried for nine months, and then the birth of the baby has to happen. So think about a 99-year-old woman giving birth to a baby. Come on now. Yeah, you know how difficult that is. Now I say anything too difficult for the Lord. No, I mean, it's not whenever you think about those kinds of things. Such a difficult, and that's really, I mean, We can read this story and kind of pass right through that, but think about that, a hundred-year-old man and essentially a hundred-year-old woman having a baby. 
so difficult for it to actually come to pass. So my question for you today is, what's difficult in your life that God is completing? What's difficult in your life that God's got to bring to completion? If God doesn't do it, then it's not going to happen. If God doesn't cause it to happen in the face of really difficult situations, it's just not going to happen. What is that thing? You, you know what that thing is in your own life. You don't have to say those things out loud, but you know what it is in your life. I know what it is in my life, and you know what it is in your life. Philippians uh, 1 uh, chapter 6 says this. I'm, I'm going to read this for us. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 um, says this. You don't have to turn there with me or you can't if you want to. But this is, uh, this is what the text says. Paul writes this and he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. If you're an underliner or you're a highlighter or anything, if you do that, if you write down a note, you should write down Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is there's a good work that's going to be done in you, and it may not be complete yet, right? We're always on a journey. We're always being conformed and formed into the image of Jesus. But this text tells us that he will bring it to pass in the day of Christ Jesus. He will bring it to pass at some point, whatever work it is that he's trying to do with you. Let's keep reading that text. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. That's another thing that I would underline if I were you, that you are all partakers with me of grace. Paul says that. He's writing it to the church then. He would write that same thing to Refuge Church today, that you are all partakers in, uh, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, Paul was in prison, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he says, that's part of what your responsibility is. Paul said, just like it's my responsibility, it's your responsibility to be a partaker and an imparter of the gospel to other people. Let's keep going because this text is just so good. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the, uh, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that, you, uh, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure. Pure and, blame, and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I don't know if you're somebody, that, again, that highlights in your Bible or writes in your Bible, but you should go to that, that, that passage often and just be encouraged. Knowing that we said this, God does what he says and completes what he promises. And Paul talks about this very same thing as he's writing from prison to the church at Philippi and says the same thing to them. God does not leave us alone or forsake us. Okay? You may feel alone. Your feelings may tell you that you're alone. Your feelings may tell you that God doesn't see me. God doesn't know what's going on in my life. But God does not leave us alone. No matter the circumstances or no matter the condition, God does what he says and God completes what he promises. Let's, yeah, let's move on to verse 2. It says this, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And so um, the, 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 the thing that I want you to take away from that is this. God causes his plan to happen, okay? God causes his plan to happen. If he's got a plan, he's going to make it come to fruition. 
He, ha- he happens to have it in his time and by his means. In his time and by his means. Now, uh, I'll tell you a little secret about us, if you don't know this already. We're very reformed here. If you don't know what that means, that means we believe that God is in control, okay? We believe that God is in control of everything. Say everything. Yeah, everything. God is in control of everything, and that includes salvation. Like it, don't like it. It doesn't matter if you like it or don't like it. If you read your scripture, you'll see that God is in control of everything, and that includes the salvation of his people. Uh, God is never asleep at the wheel. He is never wondering and wringing his hands, wondering what's going to happen next. He is never uh, sweat running off his brow going, are they going to do what I asked them to do? Are they going to get my plan in order that I've got to bring the fruition of the, the world to come together? He's never worried about those things. Why? Because God is always in control. He is always in control of everything. That wayward child that you're praying for about to come back home, you know what? God is in control of that situation. What does he tell you to do? Pray, ask, believe. We're going to talk about that as this thing goes on. Pray, ask, believe, but believing that God is in control of the situation, okay? God is always working his plan. He is, re- he is, um, uh, he is ready all the time. I, I go back, let's go back to Philippians. If you've got your Bible open there, let's go back to Philippians chapter 2, now in verse 12, and this is what the text says in verse 12. Says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay? So we saw two things in that verse. He says, um, uh, in the first part of that, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? So he's telling you, get busy. This should be important to you. Work it out, study, learn, ask, seek, do all those kind of things. But in verse 13, he says this, which we take comfort in. For it is God, say God. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so God is evermore at work on yours and my behalf for our good. He is always doing a thing, causing his his plan to happen. And so I just want to encourage you to rejoice in the work that God is doing in your life. I mean, you should be able to look at your life and rejoice at something that God is doing in your life. No matter how bad the situation may be for you, there's something to rejoice about and know that it is God's work, Jesus at work for us, working his plan. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says this, that we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we know anything, if you've grown up in church at all, or maybe you haven't, that he is at the right hand of the, of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. Those of us that belong to him, Jesus is ever interceding on our behalf, saying, they belong to me, they belong to me. I know they're sinning big, but they belong to me. My blood's covered their sin debt. Yep, I know they're messing up right now, but my blood's covered their sin debt. That's what he's doing. He's ever interceding on our behalf. But the, the script, this text in Hebrew says that he is the founder and he is the perfecter of our faith, the author, the finisher of our faith. That is good, good news. Let's go on to verse three, see what the text says. Abraham called, uh, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. Okay, so it seems like a very innocuous verse, but from that, I want you to see this, that there is joy in the promises of God. Okay, there's joy 
in the promises of God. Now, think about this. Why should there be joy when we think about this verse? Most of the time, when a baby's born, how do we feel? We feel good. Oh, we feel so good. Yeah, no, we feel really good, right? I mean, we're happy about that. We're, we're joyful about that. It's a joyous occasion most times whenever a baby comes into our lives and whenever a baby is born. And just think back to whenever your children are born or, or maybe your grandchildren are born how, or when you were born. Remember how happy you were to be born? No, I mean, we're all happy to be born because it's such a good and, and, and most of the time a joyous event when those kinds of things happen. I mean, but this baby, I mean, again, with a hundred-year-old man and a, and a hundred-year-old woman, that would have made, made the news. I mean, Joe Birch would have shown up from, from chapter five, uh, Channel 5 or Oprah might have shown up or TMZ or, or Geraldo or Jerry Springer, probably Jerry Springer, uh, shown up like 200-year-old people having a baby. I, I mean, they would have shown up and they would have been all over the news because 200-year-old people were having a baby, and that's such a big deal, but it's such a joyous occasion um, because, you know, Abraham had sexy time at 99 years old. Uh, and the Scripture says that, that they laughed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that... Uh, that, that they laughed, and, and laughter is good, right? Because we can laugh about things like that. We can, we can laugh and, and, and laugh about, because laughter is, is, is the, indic or the imperative of what's coming out of things that are good, right? Like when we laugh, things are pretty good. We're either joking with our friends or we're laughing at a joke or, or something joyful is happening or we've surprised somebody at a birthday party or there's a baby that's been born, just like in this text. But we usually when we're laughing, something good is happening. I, 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 love, I love for people to tell me jokes. I can't remember jokes. So if you tell me a joke, like you could tell me the, the same joke in about three days because I couldn't remember the punchline. And I would laugh at it anyway because I can't remember jokes, which drives me crazy. As a preacher, I'd love to just come up and have a joke in my head and remember to tell you, but I got nothing. Um, and so I'm not about to tell a joke. I'll sing, but I'm not going to tell jokes. Um, no, yeah, not right now. Um, but laughter is rejoicing. And in this case, Isaac's name was a constant reminder of really just the hilarity of the situation. When they talked about his name, which his name means he laughs, uh, there, it's just a constant reminder of the joy which came when he came on the scene. And, and so just think about that. Every time Abraham and, uh, and Sarah would see their little boy, it was, it was just, they'd have to look at it and go, this is crazy. I mean, this is crazy that we got a baby. You know, waking up in the middle of the night, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> Somebody got to get up with a baby. I think it's your turn, you know, um, uh, to get up and do those kind of things. But what brings you joy today? I mean, think about that in your life. What brings you joy? There's got to be some things in your life that really, really bring you joy. And this is going to sound like a preacher answer, but the, the biggest joys that I see, like some of the top three things in my life that bring me joy, one of them is like when people come to know Jesus. I mean, literally, I, I, I can't think of hardly a more joyous thing than when somebody comes to know Jesus. Uh, when somebody literally repents and believes. I'm not talking about a religious experience. I'm literally talking about somebody that recognized the depth of their own sin and the fact that without Jesus, they are hopeless. And that without Jesus, that whenever, if they died, they would die separated from the joy of the Lord, but, but uh, receiving the wrath of God from that time on. 
that when somebody recognizes that and go, they find out that they know that Jesus is their only hope and they go and they come to Jesus, that is such a joyful occasion for me. I, I want this to be a church. Listen, I, I want this to be a church that rejoices over things like that. I don't want that to get old, church. It should not be old. Honestly, if you know the price of your salvation and the reward of your salvation, when that happens to somebody, this should, we, that's why we talk about celebratory baptisms around here. I mean, it should be even more joyful than we make them because people are saying, I'm following Jesus. My life is found in him. There is no joy uh, apart from finding in, uh, in, in joy in Jesus. And so, so there's joy all around us. I want you to be a joyful people. Let, let's keep going in verse four. This is what the text says. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. And so from this, I want you to say this. When you set God as your highest value, you'll do what you're commanded. Okay? When you set God as your highest value, you'll do what you're commanded. How crazy was it when we did the Abraham story? You weren't here, but hopefully you were listening or you know that story. When, Abraham, when God told uh, Abraham, he said, I want you to circumcise all the people around you, uh, all the males around you need to be circumcised. These were adult men, and, and these were adult men that had to be circumcised, and they said, I want you to start doing it to the babies on the eighth day. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a serious thing going on, big, big time serious. But whenever you, when you set God as your highest value, you do what you're commanded. He's in charge, okay? Listen, God is in charge. If you're a Christian, your life doesn't belong to you anymore. You have been bought with a price. You belong to someone else. You don't, you don't get to go at yourself anymore. Your life belongs to Jesus, and our calling as followers of Jesus is to follow the master. Not to follow anybody else, but to follow the master, and we're called to follow Jesus. And that looks strange in today's world. That looks, it looks strange in the biblical world. They were going against the flow. If you follow Jesus or you follow God in the Old Testament, you follow Jesus in the New Testament, you, it is, you are going against the flow. And the same thing today in 2020 in Arlington, Tennessee or Cordova or Memphis or wherever you're from or wherever you're watching, wherever you live, that it is strange to follow Jesus today. It is odd to follow him today, but that's the calling. You do what you're commanded. Many of us say that, but our lives don't reflect it. I mean, we saw what happened in Abraham's life whenever God wasn't set at his highest value, right? I mean, that's what we've seen in these previous chapters, that he kind of went his own way. He lied. He was deceptive. He was kind of save, trying to save his own rear end most of the time. Uh, he didn't set God as his highest value, and he fell off along the way. He made some good choices. He made some bad choices along the way. But either way, we know that we have to set God as our highest value. He told Abraham he's going to make him a, 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 into a great nation. He was going to transform them into God's family. And then he marked them as becoming uh, belonging to God. And so how do we do that today? Some people say you mark yourselves by belonging to God by walking an aisle. Like, you know, if you come down and preachers stand at the front or here at Refuge, we usually stand at the back and you go talk to the preacher. Maybe you've done that in the church somewhere else along the way and you go, well, I walked the aisle and, I, and then I got baptized when I was a kid, you know, or what, whatever age you were, whenever you got baptized and, uh, and or my name's on a church roll or uh, th those are the things that I know that the reason that I belong to Jesus. The scripture says this about how you know that you belong to Jesus, that you repent, okay, 
It means to say, I recognize that I've sinned against God and I don't want to do that and I'm really sorrowful over my sin. So I repent, I confess my sin, I repent of my sin, and I believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus came, that Jesus had to come and live the perfect life that God calls us to live, that he's the only one that ever has, that you or I never will do it, that Jesus lived the perfect life, that he died on a cross to cover our sin debt because the scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You can't confess your sin to a preacher, to a priest, or to a priestess anywhere else along and get your sins forgiven. Your sins are forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus. Okay, that is the only thing that covers our sin debt, that we repent, we believe this, that Jesus shed his blood to cover our sin debt, that he literally died on a cross, and that three days later, God raised him from the dead, and that he rose back, he he rose from the dead, and he ascended back to the Father, and he is ever interceding on our behalf, and that he'll come again, and that we will live with him forevermore for those who are in Christ Jesus. And those who are not, those of you who are not, because there's some of you, there's no doubt in this room, there's some of you who are outside the household of faith. Those of us who are in the household of faith, we will live with him forevermore. Those of you who are not will will live as the object of his wrath forevermore. You don't have to. Because today could be your day of salvation. Today could be your day that you become part of the family of God. And we'd invite you to do that. We're, we're going to invite you at some point in this service to do that very thing. If the Holy Spirit is dealing with you now and is telling you that you're one of those people outside the household of faith, listen, young people, old people, middle people, it don't matter. Whoever you are, God is telling you that you're not part of his, but to come, that he's drawing you in. He's saying, come, I'm, I'm drawing you into me. Let today be your day of salvation. That's our hope for you. That is our hope for you. Let's keep going. Verse 5. He says this, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Anytime you read that, I want you to read it that way. He was 100 years old. He was old, okay? He was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And so 100-year-old Abraham begs this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Yeah, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's not. Nothing is too hard for for the Lord. When God sets your feet in a direction, it will be accomplished, okay? When he told Abraham... You're going to have a son, no matter what you try to do, no matter how bad you try to derail this situation, whatever you're going to have a son, it will come to pass. It will be accomplished, it will come to pass, and it will happen as God says it's going to happen. That's the way God operates. God operates in that very way. Uh, Look, we planted a church 11 years ago. It was 11 years ago this July. And honestly, it was too hard to get to this point. We couldn't see this point back then, that we got in this building and it was a rat-infested, uh, nasty, uh, gross, uh, throw-up. Uh, uh, if you got words for that, just add them to the list because that's what this building was like. And there was a ragtag bunch of people that had never done anything like this, that had never been part of church leadership, that had never done, planted a church or anything at all like that. We just knew that God was calling us to do something that was impossible. I mean, it literally is impossible when you think about it. Nobody supported us outside. Nobody funded our way along. Nobody did any of those things for us. We just believed that we were following the calling of God whenever he called to to plant this church. And honestly, it was too hard, and it was too messy, and it was an impossible-to-survive situation. But God chose to do something, right? 
I mean, God chose to do something with this ragtag bunch of people uh, and, and to do something that was absolutely impossible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That, that's the question. Let me go back to that slide. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because that's, uh, and the answer that we have to say is no, nothing's too hard for him. Nothing is too hard for him. Maybe it's a, and for you today, maybe it's your marriage. And I, I need you to listen to me closely. Stop whatever you're doing and listen to me closely. If you're watching online, stop and listen. Quit folding clothes. <laughs> listen. Listen to me closely. Maybe some of you are in relationships in your marriage that need some reconciliation. Maybe you're fighting, all, listen. Listen, maybe you're fighting at home. Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're at odds with your kids. Or kids, maybe you're at odds with your parents or with your siblings. Listen to this. Maybe there's hostility between church members. Listen close. If I'm talking to you, you know I'm talking to you. Maybe there's hostility between people of the family of God over something foolish. And we've just let it go, and we've let it keep going, and we've let it keep going. Some of you are quenching the Spirit today. In your own life, some of you are quenching the Spirit today because you want to continue doing things your own way. You want to continue down this same foolish path of living the way the world tells you to do, living the way that we're called, that people outside the household of faith would live, but not people inside the household of faith, okay? And we think that that's okay to live that way because that's just what people around us do. But we're called to be something different. You're called to be something different. You're called to be salt and light in a world around us that is dying. A world that is dying without Jesus, that will live an eternity separated from the goodness of God. And because of your foolish actions, you are quenching the spirit because of your uh, own uh, uh, selfish ways and your own unwillingness to repent to a friend, you're quenching the spirit. You know who you are. You know you're doing it. Stop it for the sake of the gospel. Some of you will not do it because your heart's too hard. And some of you will not do it because you're not even a Christian. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Nothing. That's, that thing that you think's too hard, it's not. It's not too hard for the Lord. How about you ask him for help? See what happens. Let me keep going. Verse six. God has, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. So just like that difficult text before caused us to examine ourselves, we have to do this. Celebrate the victories in your life. Celebrate the victories in your life. That's what Sarah was doing. She's, Sarah laughed and, and she said this. God has made Laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. That's not laughing at her. That's laughing with her. That's looking at the situation and going, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? You're a hundred. 
You're having a baby. I mean, that's laughter. And, and so they're celebrating the good things that are going on in their life. And, and so they're celebrating around her. And so, my goodness, we should rejoice in the Lord whenever we see that happening in people's lives. I mean, we should rejoice over people whenever we see God at work in their life. I wanted to sing that song, Rejoice in the Lord Always, and again I say rejoice, and this thing, Rejoice in the Lord Always, and again I rejoice. I wanted to say that because that's what this is saying, that we should rejoice over big things that are happening. We should rejoice over the work of God in our life. That's what was happening here. She was like, people are happy, and they're saying, I can't believe this is happening. And so we should rejoice over others and their successes and their victories and their advancement. And that's what it means to laugh with people whenever we rejoice with people that we laugh with people, we smile with people, we enter into those things and we enjoy those kinds of things with them. Listen, young people, listen to me. It's hard for you whenever you're a teenager. Your whole go-to is to make fun of people and think good things happen to people. I know, I see it in my house. I see it with this crew right back here. It happens in my house whenever good things happen. They'd just rather laugh at one another than to rejoice with one another because they don't, have, they don't know how to rejoice with one another. It's like you feel like, oh, people are going to make fun of me if I am happy with my friends. No, be the person that rejoices with your friends, young people. Be the person that comes alongside something good that happens with somebody and rejoice with them. Take them and get them a Sonic slushy or something. You can go at four o'clock and get a cheap one, but I mean, go with some, if Sonic ever opens up again. Uh, but rejoice, young people, with people. Be different, young people. Let Jesus make a difference in your life. Middle-aged people, I'm talking to you too. Old people like me, I'm talking to you too. Rejoice with people. Don't be so cynical. Sick of that. Turn off CNN and turn off Fox News. I ain't kidding. Come on. Look, you better vote. People of God, you better vote. I don't care who you vote for. You gotta see what they stand for and vote your convictions if you're a Christian, but vote for goodness sake. But turn off all that mess. Watch ponies and rainbows or something. <laughs> yeah, my little pony, something. 90 Day Fiance or something, I don't know. <laughs> I don't watch that, just kidding. This, this is what, um, this, this is a good text from uh, uh, Psalm chapter 23, verse 6. Uh, it talks about rejoicing in the presence of our enemies. That we should be people that rejoice, even in the presence of our enemies. So, psalm uh, 23, verse 6, you know the 23rd Psalm. But you get to verse 6, it says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so listen, if it, it, that says that God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. So think about your enemies. I'm sure you're thinking of somebody. And so God says, I'm going to pull your enemy up right here, and then I'm going to set a table out in front of them. So I'm going to set them right here, and I'm going to set a table up right here in front of them, and I'm going to sit you at that table to this big feast, and you're going to enjoy this big feast while your enemy sits and watches you. That's what 23 says. So that's what 23rd Psalm says. That you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. 
So no matter how difficult it is or how tough the situation is or how much your enemies are coming at you like this, read the 23rd Psalm and believe the 23rd Psalm that God says, I'm going to rejoice with you and over you, and I'm going to put out a big banquet feast in front of your enemies, and you can just gobble it up and leave the leftovers right there in front of your enemy. Chicken strips. strips. You dad gum right. Chicken strips. Prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. A cup. He anoints our head with oil. It means he brings healing to us. Brings salvation to us. My cup overflows because God is so good to me. God is so good to us that my cup just overflows. Then verse 7 says this. And she, Sarah, said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I mean, who'd have thunk it, right? That's what she said. Who'd have thunk it? And with that, I say this, with, with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It is. What's impossible for you right now? Is it your outlook on life? Is it your marriage? I've already touched on that. Is it your marriage that you need help with? By goodness sake, don't let it get any further. Ask for some help. We'll help you. If we can't help you, we'll point you to somebody that will. Layla Todd will help you, I promise. Right? And this whole church said Amen. <laughs> You're married. Maybe it's your kids. You need help with your kids. Hey, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, man, how about you ask for help? Don't just throw your hands up in the air. You're the adult. Be an adult. Be a mom. Be a dad. Lead your kids. You don't have much time with them anyway. If you need help, ask for help. We'll help you. Maybe it's your job situation, your finances, your relationships. Maybe it's your spiritual life. You go, preacher, I'm really confused now, and I don't know what to believe about my own spiritual life. Will you help me? Yes, of course we will. It'd be our joy to help you. It's what we want to do. We want you to grow in your life following Jesus. We want you to grow in your spiritual life. We want you to mature in your spiritual life. Let us help you if you don't know what you're doing. Or maybe it's your salvation. You go, I don't even know what to do. I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. Let us help you. Golly, I got a lot to go. Man. So, so maybe you're skeptical that God can do any of these things. Maybe you go, I, 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 I what should I have to rejoice about today? And the Bible's full of these promises, and I'm going to go through them really quickly because I think you need to see them, and then I'm going to wrap this up. Here, here's, what, here's some promises. He promised to give us wisdom if we ask. James verse 1, verse 5, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it'll be given to him. You think you're not, you need some wisdom? Ask God for it. He goes this, he says he promises to provide a way out of temptation. Many of you think, man, I'm tempted with things and I can't even find my way out. James, or 1 Corinthians says this, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with a temptation, listen, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If you're in the middle of some temptation, you've got a way out. God says he'll make a way if you're willing to step out of it, Okay. Then he says this, he promises our salvation is secure no matter what, John 10, 28, 29. He says, I give them eternal life, they'll never perish, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Once you become part of the family of God, you're secure. I don't know if you grew up in a church that says you can lose your salvation, but that's garbage, yeah. okay? If you're saved, I'm not saying if you're just a fake Christian or you're just a religious person, but if you've truly repented, if Jesus is your highest value, if you are secure in your salvation, nobody will snatch you out of the hand of God. You are secure until the Lord comes back, until you leave this world and go on into the next. I promise you, that's what the Bible tells us. That is what 
He promises. This uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says he'll never leave us or forsake us. Uh, Philippians 1 chapter 6 says he promises to finish the good work that he began in us. And then in Luke chapter 12, verse 40, he promises to come back. One of these days, Jesus is coming back. That's good, good news. And so here's what we're, we're going to wrap up. It says this. What do you need God to do that only God can do? That's my question for you to do for today. What do you need God to do that only God can do? That's what our text is all about. That God doing some amazingly, uh, almost impossible, no, not almost impossible, impossible situations outside of him, that's what he caused to come to pass. That's what this text is all about. Just reminding us of what God was at work. What do you need God to do that only God can do? You know what that thing is? I I'm gonna encourage you to do these, thing these three things. Pray, ask, and believe, okay? Pray, Ask and believe. Uh, the, the scripture tells us these things. Um, for all the promises are yes and amen in him. To the glory of God he be through us. Uh, Hebrews 4.16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne room of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and helpful in our time of need. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, one of my favorite ones, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to him and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You anxious people, write that down, memorize it. I did it for years in my own life. Need that. Pray, ask, and believe. The question is, how do we live this way? And so I'm going to tell you three words. In light of football season, go fight, win. <laughs> and hoping and praying that we have a football season. Yeah. Hail State. Uh, I'm hoping that we have a football season. So I, you're going to remember these points. These are the points that I want you to take this. How do we live this way? How do we get trajectory in our lives where the gospel reigns in us and over us and through us and to us? The first one is this. The first one is go. One of, many of you have done this today. You've gone to church. Go to church, okay? And it's important for us now that we can meet again, that you meet again. If you're listening to me on, on uh, video, there's going to be a time that some of you will be able to come back. Whenever kids, we have kids ministry and, and some of you are, are, are immunocompromised, you can't come right now. But for those of us who can, there's no reason not to meet together. If, if we have to have two services here to accommodate people, we'll do that in this pandemic, okay? We'll do what we have to do because for us to be able to go to church and gather together, go to church uh, and then go out and be the church, not, this, is, this is important, okay? But it's just as important that you live and you be the church no matter where you are. Live out the implications of the gospel in your life. Uh, 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 go be the church. Believe God. Brag on God and bring God with you wherever you go. Second, that's the go. The second one is fight. What do we do? We fight sin, okay? We fight sin and we have a flight from sin, Okay? I need you to fight the sin in your life. Don't let it overtake you. And I need you to flee from the sin that sometimes has a tendency to do that. You know what they are. You know the things where you slip into sin. Run away from it. You, you're not strong enough to withstand it. I promise you. Run from it. Go, fight, and then win. Hey, look, win the doubt game. Some of you don't think you can do it. Some of you don't believe that the gospel is true. Some of you don't believe that God cares enough about you to care. Some of you don't believe that what I've said today is true. But win the doubt game in your life. Win the doubt game and then win the day. God's grace is sufficient for you today. You go, what about tomorrow? Tomorrow will take care of itself. God's grace is sufficient 
for you today. Go fight win. That's what I want us to be our battle cry as we get into this fall. Go fight win. Can we do that? Go fight win. If you think about that, I mean, it's football season and we think about those kind of things. Let that be part of our Christian life. Go fight and win the day. This is, happens because God wills and works in us for his good pleasure. He does that in his people. And so the question that I have for you is, are you his people? That's the question I'm leaving you with. Are you his people? Listen, don't, don't lose me. This is very important for somebody in this room. Are you his people? You can be today if you repent of your sins. It means turn away from your sins. I don't want to do this anymore. And I want to believe the gospel that Jesus has come to rescue me. How do I do that, preacher? It'd be our joy to talk with you about that. And so what's going to happen is we're going to wrap this up. Pastor's going to be back in front of the sound booth. And we're going to invite you to come back and go, you go, Pastor, I need to be saved. I need to become a Christian today. I, I, I've just lived this, this religious lifestyle, and I need to become a Christian today. It would be our joy to, to open the Scriptures and talk with you about that very thing, to pray with you, to say, this is what it means to follow Jesus today. So we'll invite you to that day, but you pray with me right now. God, we love you. We need you.